0: Welcome, everyone. This is the Council of Institutional Investors Educational Podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Jeffrey Hales, Professor of Accounting at the McComb School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin. Professor Hales was recently appointed a part time member of the International Sustainability Standards Board. I'm also joined by Christina Bochkai, an Associate Professor of Accounting at Miami Herbert. Business School at the University of Miami, and Professor Bochkai recently became an academic fellow at the International Sustainability Standards Board. Professor Hales and Bochkai are two of the co-authors of a recent research paper entitled, Mere Puffery or Credible Disclosure, The Real Effects of Adopting Voluntary ESG Disclosure Standards. Welcome, professors. Thanks for speaking with us today.
1: Thank you,
2: Jeff.
0: Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, professors, your new research paper examines companies' voluntary adoption of sustainability standards of the Sustainability Standards Accounting Board. But before we discuss the findings of your paper, can you first provide our listeners with some background and overview and a current status report on the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board and its sustainability standards? Absolutely.
2: Thanks. Uh, that's a great question. Thanks, Jeff. Um, the SASB has been around for uh, about 10 years now. Uh, actually, I'll explain. It lasted about 10 years, but the standards we hope will will last much longer than that. And so uh, SASB was founded back in 2011, and it had a, uh, a mission to develop disclosure standards for companies to communicate with investors about environmental and social impacts and and the dependencies of the company's operations that you know wouldn't necessarily be things that they could easily just buy and control but had to rely on and so could create risks and opportunities for the companies so in in doing that and setting out to do it there were really uh, two key aspects of this endeavor that were a focus of SASB uh, the, the whole time, and I think really critical to the effort. And the first of those things was that the idea was to communicate ESG issues that would be important to investor. And uh, in order to do that, we needed to focus on the issues that would be relevant for assessments of enterprise value. And, uh, uh, and that was gonna require thinking about what were the activities that businesses were actually doing Um, and and that would link to essentially an industry-based approach. That was the the initial genesis of the idea was to think about industry-based standards that would help identify issues that would likely be material for investors to know about when it comes to environmental, social, and governance issues. So that process took about four years, four or five years to develop some provisional standards. The, The team at SASB Basically worked sector by sector across 11 sectors and, and produced a total of uh, 77 industry standards, which were finished around 2016 in a provisional state. But then, uh, over the next couple years, continued to the, the SASB continued to work with investors and and with companies to understand, get more feedback on the the proposed standards, and then the board worked on revisions to those standards before launching them in November of 2018. Uh, and and at that time, there were only about 40 companies that had started using the standards in their disclosures. But since then, we've actually seen a big uptick and, and thousands of companies around the world and of varying sizes using the SASB standards. Now, that's kind of how we got all the way up until this summer. But there's been a lot of consolidation in the ESG space. And so we've actually seen two key things. First, SASB merged in the summer of 2021 with integrated reporting. Some of your listeners might be familiar with integrated reporting. Uh, and then at COP26, the big climate conference last November, the IFRS Foundation announced that they were going to establish a new board, the ISSB, which you mentioned that Christine and I are both affiliated with. And that was a means of trying to create a global solution that would help to consolidate the investor-oriented organizations that were out there around uh, sustainability disclosures. And so that was announced in November of 2021. And that consolidation was completed this summer, just uh, actually in August. And so the SASB standards have been essentially acquired by the IFRS Foundation as part of establishing this new ISSB and will be used uh, as part of the ISSB sustainability disclosure standards going forward.
0: So with that background, professors, what motivated you to write a research paper on what factors prompt companies to voluntarily adopt sustainability accounting standards, forward standards, and whether the adoption of those standards is associated with real effects on ESG performance?
1: Yes. Thanks, Jeff. There are several reasons for why we examine companies voluntary adoption of SASB standards as opposed to other frameworks. And some of these reasons Jeff already mentioned, but I will just repeat them one more time. First of all, SASB standards identify sustainability issues that are likely to have a material impact on the firm's operating performance as well as financial condition. So this means that SASB standards directly serve the needs of investors among the diverse audience of sustainability reporting. Second, SASB standards are industry-specific and offer detailed disclosure guidance. The standards identify the most relevant or the most material sustainability issues for each industry and provide explicit performance metrics to report on each sustainability topic for that industry. So for example, SASB standards include greenhouse gas emissions as a material disclosure topic for airline companies and data privacy as a material disclosure topic for e-commerce companies, but not the reverse. I will not go into more detail exactly how SASB standards were prepared as Jeff already reviewed some of that, but I want to emphasize that we know that many institutional investors, large institutional investors like BlackRock, Bank of America, Fidelity, the Canada's Maple AIDS Pension Fund, investment managers demonstrated support for sustainability reporting following SASB. And all of these factors that I mentioned, I think collectively, they all resulted in the increasing use of SASB standards in the United States as well as around the world. So for instance, based on our most recent records, more than 65% of S&P 1200 Global now report uh, on sustainability following SASB standards. All in all, I think it's important to emphasize that our paper addresses a unique corporate disclosure setting, and this is the setting of voluntary adoption of disclosure standards, which stands in stark contrast to mandatory reporting, which we normally see in in corporate disclosures. That is why it is important to narrow down factors that help explain this voluntary company choice to report following SASB standards.
0: So, professors, your research paper finds that the voluntary adoption by companies of sustainability accounting standards for standards is market-driven. So what market factors did your research find contributes to companies voluntarily adopting SASB standards?
1: Yes, that's a great question. And indeed, when we think about companies' voluntary adoption of SESB standards, we consider the effect of market forces. And we look at two forces in particular, and they are peer pressure, so what peers are doing as well as who are the investors of the company. Specifically, with respect to peer pressure, we examine whether the proportion of peer firms that already adopted SASB standards helps explain the choice of the focal firm to adopt SASB standards. And we also examine, in terms of investor base, we also examine the effect of institutional ownership. And we find that the company is more likely to adopt SESB standards when its peers keep adopting SESB standards. We also find that the company's likelihood of SASB standards adoption increases in the presence of sustainability-focused institutional investors. That is, those investors, the presence of those investors who consider sustainability in their investment decision-making. Importantly, these two market forces, the effects remain strong after we factor in other company characteristics, for example, company size, financial performance, sustainability performance, litigation concerns, or uh, or competition threats, and so on.
2: And if I could uh, just add a little bit to what Christina was saying there, this also connects a lot with the, the experience that I've had in engaging with companies and going and talking to companies about disclosure standards for, for ESG issues. Companies would sometimes say like, well, if we don't have to do this, why would we do this? And many companies, I think, do seem to respond if they if they realize that this is something that their investors want to know about. But a very common other thing that I hear from companies is they want to know what their peers are doing as well. Uh, I mean, we call it we call it peer pressure, but I don't think that it's a, it's not the sort of the peer pressure we might have felt as teenagers, where someone's like do this, do this, do this, do this, right? You know, where that you know one company is trying to get another company to do the same thing that they're doing. But there is kind of like this peer influence effect, where companies often want to know like are we keeping up with what we see as best practices out there? And they look uh, to the peers in their industry uh, as 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 a as a guide for what that might be. I mean, that that's what I've seen anecdotally, but this also seems to be what our research is also bearing out. Is these two important aspects of who are your peers, what are they doing, and who are your owners, and and what are they asking for?
0: Professors, your research paper also finds that the voluntary adoption by companies of Sustainability Accounting Standards Board standards results in certain improvements at those companies. So what specific company improvements did your research uncover?
1: Yes. So as you know, data availability and quality is a big hurdle in sustainability research. That's why to make sure that our results are not driven by a specific data point or by a specific data source, we consider four different measures of sustainability performance. Two measures are more broad and two are more narrow. Specifically, we examine changes in the number of negative ESG incidents, and these ESG incidents are broadly defined. And we also consider changes in sustainability ratings, overall ratings for the company. We find improvements in these metrics following the adoption of SASB standards. We find improvements when we compare SASB adopting firms to the non-adopting group, making sure that all other characteristics between the two groups are similar. And we also find these improvements when we compare adopting firms over time. So basically, firms that adopted SASB standards in the post-adoption period to the pre-adoption period. So we find improvements in sustainability metrics using that research design. Two more narrow measures we consider are the number of workplace injuries and the amount of toxic releases. Similarly, we find improvements in these sustainability measures, that is, we find lower pollution levels and less serious workplace injuries in the years following the SASB adoption. Our results are stronger for industries for which pollution and workplace safety were identified as material issues, and this gives us a little bit more confidence that results we document are attributable to the SASB standards adoption. All in all, our results provide initial evidence of what gets measured, gets managed, and highlighting the role of sustainability standards in what gets measured.
0: Professor's final question. Your paper states, quote, our study provides timely evidence for policymakers and regulators on firms' adoption of sustainability standards in the absence of reporting mandates, unquote. As you know, the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission is both a policymaker and a regulator. So how should your research findings impact if at all the substance of the SEC's controversial pending final rule to enhance and standardize climate related disclosure?
2: Thanks yeah it's a it's a great question. First, I would say our, our research is considering ESG issues quite broadly, uh, and that includes climate issues, but it isn't exclusive to that. And the SEC's current proposal is, of course, like quite focused on climate-related disclosures. But that said, they have also previously issued revised guidance on human capital disclosures as part of the modernization of Reg SK that they issued in 2020. Uh, and they seem actually likely to to revisit human capital disclosures uh, in the future. So I think broad ESG reporting is of interest in the in the U.S. Plus, we know that in uh, the in Europe, the the EU has proposed a wide set of mandatory ESG reporting requirements that would be part of what's called the Corporate Sustainability Reporting uh, Directive, and uh, and then the the ISSB, as we've been talking about, is trying to to be able to create a, a global baseline for investor needs that regional requirements could build off of. So So there is a lot really that regulators and policymakers are doing right now that I think could learn from some of our, uh, our research. And so the first thing is that accounting isn't meant to be a compliance exercise. It's about facilitating accountability, which means that we should be able to see a feedback loop. And our results suggest that adopting SASB standards for disclosing on ESG topics can Uh, lead to improved performance on ESG issues, particularly those that are identified in the standard. And this seems to highlight the potential value of disclosing on ESG performance in a credible way. Now, the SEC and the ISSB both have the need to do something that's essentially like a type of cost-benefit assessment. And for the ISSB, it's called an effects analysis. What types of benefits would be expected from the change in uh, in regulation or or the, the new standard, and what types of costs might be imposed? So because we're examining voluntary adoption in our study uh, and the determinants of that choice, we can actually provide insights on some of those relative costs and benefits. So like I just mentioned, we see improved performance on ESG issues. That's really important. It doesn't seem like this is just a greenwashing exercise, uh, uh, some sort of posturing by firms. And the second is that we see the voluntary choice is actually associated with institutional investor ownership. That is like a strong investor voice. And this suggests that investors want the information, one benefit, that there's improved DSG performance, another benefit, and that at least some companies are willing to do this voluntarily, suggesting that in their view, the perceived benefits outweigh the costs. But I think you know, like it's important to also recognize that there's a number of caveats that we'd want to recognize. First, we see that size is associated with the choice. And we know bigger firms tend to lead when it comes to adopting new disclosures or standards that, um, that are, are put out there. Uh, they tend to like lead on best practice in general huh, when it comes to disclosure. And and the second thing is that you know a voluntary choice gives us insight into the relative cost or benefits for those firms that decided to adopt, but it but it can't really tell us about what companies that didn't adopt would would think or feel in terms of the benefits or, or the cost for them. And so in that way, there's clearly some limitations. We can't say that that all the results would necessarily hold for all firms if this was a mandated thing and that all companies had to comply with.
0: That concludes our podcast episode on behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors. Again, thank our special guest, Jeffrey Hales. Professor of Accounting at the McCombs School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin, and a part-time member of the International Sustainability Standards Board. I'd also like to thank Christina Bachkai, an Associate Professor of Accounting at Miami Herbert Business School at the University of Miami, and currently an Academic Fellow at the International Sustainability Standards Board. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.